And we'll be looking at verses 7 through 16. And I want to speak on the concept of truth. You ever hear, we have the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? You ever hear that phrase? I am deeply concerned that there are a lot of folks out there in our world that think they have the whole truth and nothing but the truth, but they are far short of the truth. I think because of that, a lot of folks that think they have something are getting really a rough deal. I had a friend when I was a missionary kid in Holland. His name was Rick. And he lived for computer games. He lived for fun. If it wasn't fun, it wasn't done. <laughs> and uh, he, was a, he, was a, he was a good guy to be around once in a while. But as he continued to grow and I witnessed to him, he unfortunately did not accept the Lord as his Savior. And you know what his job is today? He's a computer programmer for one-armed bandits, for slot machines. Because that's fun! And I think there's a lot of folks out there that in their pursuit of fun, in their pursuit of happiness, in their pursuit of whatever might be the flavor of the day, in Uruguay, it's humanism. It's what mankind can do to better this world. It's secularism. Religion is outlawed from public life. And here in the book of Hebrews, I believe it was legalism. And folks, they look for everything around them but that which will fill the void in their soul. Science can get us a long ways. It's part of God's grace that he has allowed men to advance and we have many comforts in our lives that we didn't used to have 200 years ago. <laughs> I think of my grandparents. They started out with the, the horse and buggy and look where we're at now today. And you think, wow, boy, have we advanced. But then I think back of the horse and buggy and when folks came out to church, when folks not only had a Bible in their homes, but they actually opened it up and they listened to God's word and they knew Jesus Christ, their personal Savior. And then I think, boy, have we really advanced? And here in Hebrews chapter 13, I believe we will see several truths that if we take them to heart, if we apply them to our lives, they will change our lives for the better. Let's look at verse 7 to start out here this morning. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7. The text says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And so I believe the first rule, the first truth, if you will, that we can gather this morning is the truth to remember your leaders well. Remember your leaders well. In our community of Durasno, it's approximately 30,000, 33,000 people. Uh, we have a large, well, I wouldn't say large, but we have a significant Orthodox Jewish population. You say, I thought, Paul, you went to Uruguay. I thought the Jews lived in Israel. What are, what are the Orthodox Jews doing in your community? It's a lot of fun. Uh, we'll, we'll get up on Saturdays, we'll walk, and we won't see any, any Jewish folks, but we'll come out Sundays, and there they are walking around doing their errands in their black jackets, their high caps, they have their curls down the side, they have their, their fringes, 
These are Orthodox Jews. And boy, is it a lot of fun to try and witness to them. I say try. I, I went up to one and I spoke to him and I said uh, in Spanish, I said, ¿Cómo estás? Me gustaría hablar con usted. I said, how are you? I'd like to talk with you. And he just looked at me like this blank stare in his face like I was from Mars. So I said, okay, no problem. We'll try English. I said, good morning, how are you? Can, do you have a moment? Could I speak to you? And he continued to look at me with this blank stare. So I dug deep and I pulled out some Dutch because, you know, the Jewish folks today, they speak a form of German. And I figured maybe we could get closer. And I said, something like that, you know. And I, I spoke to him and still nothing. So finally I, I ended up, I, I said, well, I'd like to talk to you, but a different time. And I wasn't able to share God's word with him on that particular time because he was not receptive. I believe that he did understand something. But at that time, he wasn't receptive. But we have Orthodox Jews in our community, and the Orthodox Jews and the Jewish folks, they have a saying. And the saying is, may their memory be for a blessing. That's what they say when a person passes away. May their memory be for a blessing. And the idea is that it is up to those who bear their memory to keep their good legacy alive. And we can do this by remembering them. We do this by speaking their name. We do this by carrying on what they have started. And I, I think the Jewish folks have really a good idea there. This is the concept of what the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who that was, as he was speaking to his Jewish audience, he was saying... Remember your leaders well. And how do you do that? You do that by remembering what they have spoken. I think today a lot of folks say, well, when you get to a certain age, you start to regress, right? Uh, you start to go back towards your childhood. But one of the favorite people in my life, he's now with the Lord, that I really looked up to and still look up to his memory of how he impacted my life, was my grandfather. And as the writer of Hebrews was writing to these believers who were being influenced by false teachers, folks that were teaching legalism plus Christianity, Judaism plus Christianity, he was saying, remember what you were originally taught about Jesus Christ. Remember what they spoke to you. Remember these truths. Are we a forgetful folk? Uh, in my family, uh, nine times out of ten, we're in a church, and somebody will come up to me, and they'll say, uh, so when was the last time you were here? Or when did you arrive in the United States? Or when is your daughter's birthday? What's your anniversary? Oh, I've got that one covered. It's on the inside of my wedding ring. <laughs> I'm forgetful. So I say, well, that's my wife's department. She's good at those types of things. Yes, we are forgetful, aren't we? But there are some basic, essential truths that we must never forget. And the writer of Hebrews says, remember those who have spoken. But he doesn't stop there. He also says, who's what? Who's faith follow? It's not just 
what you teach, it's also what you're able to pass on through your life, through your testimony. It's what you are able to catch from those folks. And it's really neat to see how he ends verse 7. He says, considering the end of their conversation or their lifestyle, their way of living. Let's go back way to the very beginning. Do you guys, do you remember Abel? What happened to Abel? But did he have a good ending? Let's look at it. Genesis, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Of Abel it was said expressly that his faith continues to speak even though he is dead. You see, his faith was not only something of the past, but is something which to this very day gives us hope of that which is to come. Yes, Abel was killed by Cain, but he offered up a more acceptable sacrifice. That sacrifice that was looking forward to Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate sacrifice and sin bearer. The one who died on the cross for us. He placed his faith in who was yet to come. And that faith continues to speak to us even to this very day. So let's remember, there's a lot of isms out there, legalism, socialism, humanism, secularism, communism. Want to add any more isms in there? There's a lot of things being taught out there. But what is the most important thing that we can remember? Is it not the faith of our forefathers, those that have taught us well, those who have lived their lives well, those that have been an example to us? There's been some great missionaries over the years. I'd encourage you, if you have a church library, I see that you do, go in that church library and look up some of those great biographies, some of those great autobiographies, and see how God worked in their lives. Some of them through times of sickness. And you'll be amazed at the parallels that you can find how God worked in their lives and how he continues to work in similar fashions in our lives today. So what truth will change your life? A truth that will change your life will be by remembering your leaders well. But then I see in verse 8, another truth that will change our lives is that we need to remember and review the basics. Verse 8 states, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. You say, well, this verse it just doesn't seem to quite fit here in the context. It's like he's teaching something, and then all of a sudden, Jesus Christ today, the same yesterday and forever. How does that fit? I believe it fits because this is a creed about Christ that was taught previously to them by those ones that he was encouraging them to remember. This was a basic truth, a basic doctrine that have been previously taught. And he's saying, although the preachers may change, the preaching must remain the same. Truth does not change. The unchangeableness of the revelation is a consequence of the transcendent dignity of Jesus Christ, who is the originator of the preaching. So who was Jesus Christ? Who was he? Is he the same yesterday, today, and forever? What, what is it about him that makes him transcend time? What is it about him, this truth, that will enlighten us to live lives that are worthy of him? 
Who was there in the beginning? Was it not the Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Who was there then at the cross? Who gave himself in remission for our sins? Was it not Jesus Christ sent by God the Father who was holy and just and who could not bear the sight of our sin? And so in his great love, he sent Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, to be born of a virgin, to live on this earth without sin, to experience those trials, those temptations that we face, and then to die on that cross mocked by cruel men. And yet on the third day, he was raised with great power, and he lives, and he is alive today. And maybe before the end of this sermon, we might be in his presence. Anybody say amen? <laughs> These are truths that will change your life if you live continually, constantly in the knowledge that Jesus Christ does not change. And that he is present in your life if you know him as your Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's move on to verse 9. The text says, then also, be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. I believe that the third truth that will change our lives is that we must revel in costly grace and not in legalism, or not in whatever we think will make us happy in this current moment There's a contrast here. It says, don't be carried about, but rather be what? Anybody catch it? Be established. Put your roots down deep. Get a good, solid, firm foundation. When we were house shopping in Uruguay, it was a lot of fun. Well, sometimes. <laughs> Those of you that have been house shopping, you understand. Now, the houses in Uruguay are not like the houses here in International Falls. Here in International Falls, you actually have something called insulation. You put it between the outside and the inside of the wall. It does wonders in the wintertime. Now, in Uruguay, they do too, but their insulation is a brick wall about that thick. Okay? Really thick walls if your house is old. Our house is really old. Um, the walls are thick. We have... Windows and doors that are, I want to say, 12 feet high. Our ceiling in our living room is 20 feet high. When we had to change our roof because God was watering our plants, even though we had a roof on it anyway, it was a lot of fun going up there and putting those, those beams across way up high. But, you know, that was nothing compared to what I found out as I started researching some of these old homes. These old homes go back to the foundation of the Republic of Uruguay. And the way they would build these old homes is they would go out into a field and they would find the biggest boulder that they could possibly find. The biggest rock that they could uncover, the biggest boulder that they could possibly move. And they would find a way to bring that into the city and they would put that where they would start to build the house. And that would be the foundation rock, the stone that would not move over the centuries. We lived in an old, old house. 
It had a basement in it, which is unusual for Uruguay that had some dampness and whatnot, but we got to see some of those old, old stones. And those stones had been there for upwards of 100 years, maybe even more, 120 years, and they had not moved. And the owner of that house said, I can build on top of this a 20-story building. That was a big boulder. Actually, several of them. Now, as we live in times that it seems they're changing faster than we at times can keep up with. Uh, the news cycle, I don't think it's even 24 hours anymore. I think it's much faster. <laughs> As we are bombarded by so many new technologies and so many new things, so much change, isn't it easy to get carried by all of these things that would distract us? But the text says that our hearts are to be established. They are to be grounded. They are to be firm. They are to be unmovable. But with what? With legalism, socialism, communism, secularism, humanism, all of these things that we think might satisfy our hearts, but when we try them out, they just leave a gaping hole? No, he says something else. What is it that is supposed to be the foundation of our lives, according to this verse? He says, let our hearts be established with what? With grace. Now, there's a lot of concepts today about grace, and not all of them are good. There's folks that go back and they say, well, we can sin so that grace may abound. I believe the Apostle Paul spoke to that, didn't he? He said, no, that's not the type of grace I'm talking about. I'm talking about costly grace, grace that was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this grace is something that I believe that when we fall into sin. It's that which draws us back to his side. When we wake up and we think of all of the mistakes that we made the previous day, but then we remember how Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and how he can give us grace for another day, how he can sustain us, that's what helps us move forward. I believe that grace should kind of be like our morning breakfast. <laughs> In Uruguay, a typical breakfast might be some mate, the green tea that they like to drink out of the metal straw and they share with everybody. At least they did before the pandemic. I'm not sure if they still like to do that as much as they used to. It breaks our heart. And then they eat some bread. And, and it just doesn't seem, you know, like sometimes that might be enough. Although they put some good caramel spread on there sometimes. That helps. But then you come to the United States and, and you get a good breakfast. I'm talking scrambled eggs, I'm talking bacon, uh, pancakes, side of sausage. You know, those ones that harden your arteries and you keel over. But boy, have you gotten a good something to start your day out with? Okay, this is the type of grace I'm talking about. Something that will tide you over throughout the day. That grace that is ours through Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Corinthians 4.15 through 18 states that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause? What? We faint not. But through our out, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We need this grace in our lives. We need this truth in our lives. 
so that we can build for eternity. Let's move on to verses 10 through 12 and see another truth that will change our lives. Verse 10 says, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. We live in a society where everybody likes to say, I have rights. This is taught at the kindergarten level in Uruguay. They bring in curriculum from the United Nations and they teach the children in kindergarten what their basic rights are as human beings. And they say, you have these inalienable rights. You have these rights to this and not to this. And don't let your parents tell you the opposite. And then they scratch their head and they say, well, I don't understand why my children don't turn out the way I thought they would. And the text here says that some folks have rights and some folks don't. <laughs> it's in the text. Look at it. Verse 10. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. What altar is he talking about? And he goes on and he talks about the bodies of the beasts and the blood that was brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin and how these were burned without the camp. And then he moves on from that allegory and he says, this is like Jesus Christ, who also went without the camp. That he might sanctify the people with his own blood. What a terrible shame to miss out on Jesus Christ. To miss out on what he offers us. The inalienable right of being part of the family of God through his great sacrifice at Calvary. There's nothing like being part of God's family. Uh, when we went to Uruguay, we left behind grandparents, we left behind aunts and uncles. But we also gained many grandparents. We gained many aunts. We gained many uncles. We gained many aunt, nephews. We, we have folks, uh, teens that have come into our home and we've adopted them basically as our own. That is one of our rights as believers to be part of the family of God, to be part of a local church. One of the great joys of this last term as we went back, as we saw enough people gathered together in the local church in Durasno, we said, wouldn't it be wonderful if we joined together and we formalized a church covenant? If you gathered and packed it together and decided to start the church, if you agreed to basic doctrine. What a blessing it was to have our charter Sunday and see folks go up to the front of the church and sign their name on the proverbial dotted line and say, I identify with these truths. I want to be part of this local church. I want to have that privilege and I want to have that right. What a blessing it was to see Juan Manuel come to the knowledge of saving grace and then come to us and say, Pastor, I would like to be baptized. I believe that is my right based on God's word that I can testify to my unbelieving father, to my mother, who if she's saved is very here again and then there again. I want to testify to them what Christ has done in my life. 
to see our daughter Sophia invite her school friends and say, would you come to my baptism and see what God has done in me? And through the symbology of being buried under the water and then rising again to new life to testify to their friends what God had done in them. These are our rights as believers. These are things that will not only change your life, but will change the lives of those around you as well. What a blessing we have. This blessing, this right to eat, to eat the sacrifice that Christ gave for us. Verses 13 and 14 go on and give us another truth. It says, Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we, have, but we seek one to come. Here we have the rational choice of fellowship. You see, if we have rights, we also have choices to make. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 7 states the following. It says, And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. I'm indebted to the following from the word biblical commentary. It states on that text, it gives this commentary, it says, The erection of the golden calf signified the rejection of God. Consequently, God departed from the formerly sacred enclosure and displayed his presence only at the tent pitched outside the camp. The play on the phrase outside the camp in verses 11 through 13 was designed to call to mind the occasion when God manifested his presence outside the wilderness encampment. The humiliation of Jesus and his death as an outcast show that God has once again been rejected by his people. His presence can be enjoyed only outside the camp where Jesus was treated with contempt. Anyone who seeks to draw near to God must go outside the camp and approach him through Jesus. This is the character of genuine discipleship and the condition for the acceptable worship of God. Do you want a fellowship with Jesus Christ? Do you want to have the right of being part of his body, the local church? If you do, you're going to have to make this choice, this choice of fellowship. Where are you going to worship? This morning, you all made the choice to come where? To First Baptist Church of International Falls. You made that choice to fellowship, to congregate together. Congratulations. Good job. <laughs> but you've also made the choice to be part of a much greater body, a much greater work. You made the choice several years ago to come alongside of our ministry and help us as we have been founding, as we have been starting the local church in Durasno, Uruguay. We see ourselves as an extension of your body working with you, although we're far away. As we send our prayer letters back, we see on a consistent, regular basis, we send those prayer letters out and we ask for specific things. And you would be amazed the number of times within about a day or two where we see God's answer our prayers as you pray. That's because we have chosen, we have made this choice to fellowship together as a body of believers through what Jesus Christ has done. But this is not always an easy choice, is it? 
I think of the believers in Afghanistan today. Evil men are trying to find them, to persecute them, to kill them. And some of those folks are making choices, maybe even in this very same moment, which will result in them entering into the eternal fellowship of their Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you be willing to make a similar choice for him? We don't know until we come to that moment. We haven't been given that grace as of yet. But I trust that at the very least, you will make that choice, that decision to come outside of the camp to worship together, not just on Sunday mornings, but whenever the doors of the church are open, to come together to be an encouragement one to another. Let's close with verses 15 16. It says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for, which, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. He's saying, this truth that will change your life, this last one, is to praise him, to give thanks. And what do we have to praise him for? What do we have to give thanks to him for? Well, let's review. For our leaders, those that have come before, men like Abel, men like Moses, men like Abraham, men like Caleb, men and women maybe here in the church that have passed on to glory within this last year who have been an example to you. Previous pastors, we can praise the Lord for sound doctrine, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That we have this stability, this foundational boulder, this rock of grace in our life. That we have the privilege to come together as a body of believers to enjoy the fellowship of baptism, the fellowship of the Lord's Supper, the fellowship of coming together and being a body. And as we realize all of these blessings that are ours, I believe that the sacrifice of praise to God will not feel so much like a burden. (laughs) Do we really have to come to church? It's Wednesday night. I'm so busy during the week. No, it will be a blessing. We must remember these truths so that we will praise God, so that we will give thanks, so that we will be all in. I was talking to one of our supporting pastors. He's right there on the Illinois border, and I was sharing with him that my mother-in-law, Karen Coods, had went on to be with the Lord during our past term. And it was a difficult time for our family as she was down in Uruguay and we were about three hours away and going back and forth. And uh, the church there in Paisandu, you can pray for them as they've gone through a time of transition where they no longer have a missionary there in the church, but it's now all on them as a national group of believers. You can pray for them. But as we were reminiscing about Karen Coons, my mother-in-law, he said, you know what I remember most about her? He said, I remember about her being all in. (laughs) When she got up and she walked, she didn't walk, she ran. She got asthma and she would run and we'd have to say, now grandma, you need to pace yourself. Otherwise, when you get to your destination, you're going to faint. That was hard on her because she did everything all in. And that's us as believers. We need to be all in in this sacrifice of praise of thanksgiving to God. 
all in with all of our service, with all of our lives. And I believe that this text confronts those that would live a certain way of life in different isms, in legalism, secularism, humanism, whatever the ism, the flavor, maybe even religionism. This text seeks to confront those that seek to live in the status quo. However, is it not much better to risk all for God, for Christ, outside the proverbial gate? The Bible says we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Are you one of those that are being called to this culturally rich, deeply rewarding and transformative journey of discipleship? Once you get a taste of it, there's nothing like it in the entire world. And I can say that with truth. Following in Christ's footsteps fills and satisfies the soul like nothing else will do. And perhaps my journey is different than yours. Perhaps you say, Paul, the Lord has not called me to be a missionary on the foreign field. But perhaps it's not quite as different as you might think. Perhaps God is calling you to risk all as well and go beyond your comfort zone. Why not come apart and be part of something larger than your own bubble that will have rewards for all of eternity? And as the text says here, come and let us seek a place in a city that is to come. These are the blessings, these are the rewards that are ours in Jesus Christ. And that's why we can continually give praise to him and give thanks to his name. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly